dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. <laughs> Glory to Jesus Christ, Sister Natalia. Glory to him forever, Father Michael. Are you laughing at me or with me? At you. You just started. <laughs> well, I did. Because right before we hit record, you were singing Let It Go. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was just making stuff up. You were. Where's the proof? Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> you got me started. Since Because said I said, it. let it go. Yeah, I think for most <laughs> Americans in 2020, that would start them singing, let it go. Oh, for shame. I'm, I'm not going to ask what it was. I don't even remember right now, honestly, what, why, why you told me to let it go. <laughs> what it, was. it doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter. This is going to be a long podcast. I've got a migraine and you're already trying to annoy me. (laughs) Well, you've already told me to stop doing two things that I know will get you You amped up. You were pounding next to the microphone while I have a migraine. I honestly wasn't pounding. It was basic drumming, but it's migraine, hangover, whatever. (laughs) You're you're just, you're, you're... your uh, ears are are uh, more active right now than I'm usual. not hungover. Can we clarify that for the listeners? Sister Natalia is not hungover. Okay. Father Michael might be a little bit hungover. Father Michael. I'm not. I'm oh. not. Uh, today was so you know we didn't record earlier because I had to run to a funeral and and that the family gave me the wrong day. <gasps> so the funeral's tomorrow. I know. No. <laughs> I didn't feel bad. I mean it was it was fine. This <laughs> The, the drive was absolutely beautiful through a part of LA I had not experienced yet. And then I went and got ice cream and then I got food and then I came back to record with you. So we so. could have recorded earlier. You're fessing well, up like to this 15 minutes on earlier. the podcast. Like 15 minutes. You, you weren't ready till 4.30, right? <laughs> All right. Is that correct? Yeah. You were doing your whole nun prayer thing? You mean dinner? <laughs> All right. Oh, sorry. Nun, nun food thing. Communal food. I, I ate in an app burger in my car. That was my dinner. Oh. <laughs> you had a communal dinner. Yeah. Which is good, which is how it should be. You had in and out burger right. on a Wednesday? It's not Wednesday. It is Wednesday. <laughs> I'm judging you right now. Yeah, you are. See, you don't remember, but when you were in the world, our Byzantine wall calendars say no meat on Fridays <laughs> only. And the whole point of fasting is that you don't look at someone else's plate or in their other car after drive through. All right, I deserved that. <laughs> it's good. I good. I can call you out. Yes, I had an app burger on a Wednesday. <laughs> Supporting the uh, small business in an app burger is not a small business. It is a local business, though. And I did have ice cream from a local ice cream place on a Wednesday, sister, <laughs> and it was wonderful. All right. So last time. Do you have any insights, thoughts about last time before oh, I get to my topic? I forgot we were doing that. You forgot. I did, but I do. Well, let me just start with my No, then. I'm going first. Okay, go you asked me. Okay. Fine. Um, okay. I had two very quick thoughts. One is that um, during the last podcast, I was trying to think of what the East, uh, the word that we use for discernment of spirits. And so I looked back at mm. the Philokalia and um, they use the word discrimination. So that's what I wanted to clarify. Um, are, are you sure? Yeah. 
Like discrimination of spirits. Evagrius, I don't know that I don't think it's discrimination of spirits, but they talk about discrimination oh. in like discerning between different thoughts and stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Like Evagrius okay. and um yeah, they have texts on discrimination. This is a thing. Okay. Um Yeah, I mean I guess that makes sense. I think I must be reading a different translation, but I honest but anyway, not a big deal. It, it makes sense, like discriminating between yes. the good and the bad and yes. yeah. Okay. Why do why do we in the East always choose words in English that can that are usually have a very negative connotation, like discrimination? Whoever translated into English and discrimination is I know like I don't know how old the translation is, but that that's not a use a word we use in our culture for anything that's good. I know, <laughs> I know, but I needed to at least say it so that so if people are oh no I, if if anyone is wanting to look this up in the Philokalia. Um, you should look in the glossary under discrimination because that's what we're referring to when we talk about discernment. Um, discernment regarding like discernment of thoughts, discernment of spirits, things like that. So the topic last time was how do we know a voice is God's? How do we know that God's speaking to us rather than we're speaking to ourselves or the devil's speaking to us? So that's yeah. just to touch on. We might get people that kind of dance around and just pick a topic and don't listen to one before. So sure. this is all lost on you. You'll have to listen to the previous one if you want to know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, which I'll need to, yeah. I mean, we covered things so superficially because you took up the first 20 minutes of my podcast. Um, so that's the- <laughs> I, I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of covering things superficially in this podcast. If you came here to expect like total, every topic to be covered in its entirety, comprehensive covering of topics, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, that's not going to happen. The other thing I wanted to say briefly was um, just to share, Grace, that a couple of days ago, um, I was in a conversation with someone and it was about to go really negative because I was about to bring it really negative. And I didn't because of our podcast on, I don't know what you're going to call it, the Idle Chatter one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. We had a podcast yeah. on idle chatter or something. Um, and I was like, well, if we're podcasting and telling people that they probably shouldn't be having negative conversations, then maybe I shouldn't have this conversation. And so it stopped me. And that's really beautiful. So we haven't even posted our first podcast yet, but we still have our first success story from the podcast. We still have our first <laughs> it was one of the person <laughs> growing in virtue. Because one of, of the it. podcasters, it yeah. Oh. Exactly. Nice. There's always a first. That's that's like our our dollar bill on the wall of our business. <laughs> like our, our our first success story, our first dollar. <laughs> Assistant Italian not gossiping only because we talked about it a few hours before. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. I'm I'm sure I've done the same thing. Take what I can get. All right. Well, my thought. Do you remember, sister? If I talked about when you want to kind of form your heart or train your heart to know if it's God speaking, you speaking, or the devil speaking, um, that one of the best places to do that is in divine liturgy? Yes. Since that is, okay, I did. So then I want to add to that by saying, there's also things you can do if you're just guided by the tradition of the church. So you called me out earlier on on not fasting from meat or dairy on a Wednesday. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is actually very... <laughs> No, no, it, it's it's a great lead in, and 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 we'll we'll do a whole separate podcast about not judging other people's fasting <laughs> rituals when they're not required. It's only because um, I know you're humble but, but, enough to receive it. Oh, I thank just spilled you. water and, all over myself. <laughs> Humility. Um, all right. So I also thought it's not only the divine liturgy. So what I mentioned last time was that in the divine liturgy, if we can 
just make sure that as we're praying the divine liturgy, that we are very sensitive to the movements of the heart. Um, you know, the the actions of the noose. This this part of our nous. Um, thank you for qualifying now. Forever, I'm going to say noose nous. That 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 um, the the bouncer, the gateway of our heart that that perceives uh, transcendent things, um, and. So like pay attention, use the noose to, to perceive the goodness of that moment and say, if I, if I can have this experience when I'm discerning something else and I can identify, nope, I, I've had that feeling for use of a better word in the divine liturgy or in mass, if you're Roman, like I've had that, I've had that experience there, that feeling there. So, and I, that, that is a deep peace that came because of that objective good that I was doing in the service of the liturgy. And because of that deep peace, um, I know what that feels like. So I'm going to now question, discern, discriminate um, whether that's happening right now. Is, is that happening in this discernment? Am I feeling the same deep peace that I should be feeling in the divine liturgy after years of doing it? But I don't think it's only the divine liturgy. This is why the church gives us other traditions. And that's my lead in that you said earlier is that, you know, the church, at least in our, our eparchy, our Byzantine Athenian church requires that we fast from meat on Fridays. Now, so I can say, okay, that I'm going to start by actually living out that tradition. And as I live out that tradition, I know that I'm going to probably have surface anxiety because I don't want to fast. But, but after a while of doing it, after a life lived that way, say after a year, then all of a sudden I should start to feel my, my life kind of conforming more to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring that deeper peace through the, you know, the, I mean, everything. I'm just using fasting as an example, but prayer, fasting, almsgiving, scripture, receiving the holy mysteries, all these things. If, if we're living according to the guide of the church, we should be feeling that deep peace. And so we start to understand what that looks like. So when, when a voice tells us something, then we can say, is this similar to the times I've been in liturgy, the times I've been living according to the teachings of the church? Can you, um, can you clarify what you mean by the holy mysteries? Holy Mysteries is is what we use for the word for sacraments, capital H, capital M, Holy Mysteries. Yeah, good, good, good point. Um, so when I say Holy Mysteries, I mean those seven that we the seven Holy Mysteries we call now. Qualification though, in the, in the East, we're we're not we're not so stuck on seven. Some people would even call funerals and monastic tonsures mysteries, um, but they're not they're not the seven that the Church now defines and lives by. Sure. But, Thanks. We like the word seven because it means it symbolizes fullness. And it is nice to have our our, sacra- our number of sacraments line up with the Roman number of sacraments and have the same it's ones. Convenient. So that is nice. <laughs> it is convenient and helpful. So, okay. On to the topic. Do you have anything else on last times? No, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Any other thunks? Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Um, so uh, this topic came about, and this is just something very dear to my heart. Um, if you ever listen to Catholics Have You Should Know, you know that my very first podcast I ever did with them back in what, 2000, goodness, it would have been probably 2010. Nope, it wouldn't later than that, 2014. Something like around that, 2014 maybe, um, 15. I, what was called Hanging with Hedonists. So it was it was about, when we who are trying to live a good Christian life and when we are spending our time with, with those who are not trying to live a good Christian life. Um, so I, I had this experience. Um, I was sitting with a friend. I was talking to his sister about this earlier. I was sitting with a friend in a coffee shop in Burbank. And according to her, this was like the coffee shop where all the Hollywood writers sit and where they all work. And so it was kind of this 
you know, this stereotype of, of a bunch of people sitting down drinking overpriced coffee and writing a screenplay. You know, that, that's exactly what it was. And, then, and she's a writer, so she knew about the place. And so I went in there and we were chatting and we were talking about, um, she was, uh, she loved the traditional Latin mass and she, she believed that, that in the Roman church, the traditional Latin mass should be the only way, only mass that people celebrate. She did not like the adaptations that happened at Vatican II. Um, and then, so then we got, we got talking about some of the people that she follows on social media, some of the people that she listens to. And, um, and I remember I was trying to, trying to be eloquent about, you know, about one of the people she mentioned who was going to go unnamed, one of the people that she followed on social media, who I thought was, was only speaking to their own audience. I mean, they knew their audience. They were speaking to them. It was a bubble. They were not trying to do evangelization. They were just making a living off of kind of very hyped up black and white um, proposals by the church and really condemning anybody that did not believe the same way they did. And so, so my question was, you know, I said, look around this coffee shop and it just, it dawned on me. I hope it was the Holy Spirit moment. I looked around this coffee shop, the people that you're talking about and, and the, the way of faith that you're talking about, how do we, how do we save these souls or how does Christ save these souls? How do we work with Christ in bringing these people according to our mandate to be apostles? We are sent out to these people in this coffee shop. And according to what you're saying, how, how do we reach these specific people? Mm. If, if we hold to a very, and again, I, I know that I'm talking about the Roman side here. If, if we hold to well, what can many would perceive as a very esoteric liturgy style and the one that does not, it does not have some of the, the basic attractions to, to contemporary people, um, which you can see where I'm going with this, <laughs> Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy, <laughs> which is the, the way ours is in many ways. Like, like how do we, with, without, without, harming any of our traditions mm-hmm. and, and but but what do we do according to and i'll just say it there what do we do according to our byzantine ethic traditions what do we do to to meet and to invite those people in in a hollywood coffee shop what do we do to work on on their souls and i have a bunch of ideas but do you have any initial thoughts here um my initial thought and i think it's very appropriate by the way that i'm talking to a nun because I think that's kind of the key, but go ahead. Oh. Hint, hint. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if I'm following you. We'll blame the migraine, not my... Um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> there we go. My, my initial thought, I'm going to blame that for this whole podcast. Um, my initial thought is that I think there can be, there can be a temptation. So where you're coming from is a, a beautiful place to be coming from because because this is what the Lord asks of us, right? To go to the ends of the earth and um, Mm -hmm. to preach to all nations. And obviously we need to preach to the nations as they will receive the preaching. Um, Like this is what St. Paul does, right? When he says, I see you're a very religious religious people um, because they're worshiping this unknown God amongst many other gods. Um, Right. And so so he, he starts where they're at, and then brings the news to them. And so I think the question you're asking is very key. I think the temptation to answer it, how do we reach these contemporary people um, through something that seems not contemporary? Um, the temptation can be to then modernize, contemporary, 
guys <laughs> um, to <Sure>. to, <laughs> um, to modernize what we have um, or to bring in things that are attractive in a very worldly way um, and and I understand that temptation um because it's good to desire to bring others um, into our churches, but we have to be cautious because we don't want we don't want the church to just be um, another worldly entertainment, or um, we don't want to be, in some sense, changing with the times because because God is unchanging, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. That's it's it's a difficult question because there's not changing, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's my first thought. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. First of all, we need to make sure that we aren't in no way abusing, castrating, whatever you want to say, our our traditions that are so authentic. This is the second um, podcast in a row we talked about castration. Maybe we named the podcast the wrong thing. <laughs> the castration podcast. Oh, because we talked about origin last time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the uh, yes. So I, I think it it is very clear that the church, especially the contemporary church, um, east and west, in the past fifty, sixty years, um, tried that. Mm-hmm. It was an experiment in in changing the way we do things and adapting the church to look more like the world and attempted to to bring the world into the church. Um, I would say, I'm guessing when I get to heaven and find out the numbers that there was a good number of people that were converted to the faith because of that. And so I I would never say it's a failed experiment, but I I think when you look overall, um, we lost a lot more than we gained. Um, So there's there's something about we, I, I bet you anything there was an insecurity about about our traditions and the church being enough. I mean, I see this in, in liturgies, probably less liturgies than in masses in my experience. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a, a tendency, especially when it's allowed for priests, although I don't think it's really ever allowed, but for priests to, to adapt the ritual, mm. um, thinking that the ritual's not attractive enough. Mm-hmm. And so we're gonna adapt it, we're gonna add things to it, we're gonna change the words, whatever that might be to, because they think they know better than than the words. And, and what I think they're forgetting about is that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit empowers those words and he empowers those rituals. Mm. These The rituals of the church uh, come from the the fathers and from those who who gathered in committees and prayed and and you know came up with the liturgy and th- so it's empowered by the Holy Spirit so there is in a sense we are um, making the liturgy we are changing it away from what the Holy Spirit guided it to be if if we're changing the ritual so it's, yes it's I, all I, it's all what you it would be really cool to have a, a podcast on this topic sometime and it's a topic you've spoken to me about many times over the years, it's all coming, it's coming from a place of misplaced compassion. Um, and yeah, I, I love yes, that concept. So. And I think that it would be really cool for us to talk about that sometime, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not coming for the most part from a place of, of malice or, or anything like that. It's, it's a sincere desire to bring people into the church, to bring people closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and it's, and it's hard because, you know, we in the Byzantine Catholic church, 
And in the Eastern Christian tradition, you know, we have all of our beautiful traditions that came out of a culture. I mean, th- these mm-hmm. liturgies and these malebens, paraklesis, things like that, they came out of a culture and they were guided by the Holy Spirit, but they, the, at the time they were probably very attractive. The, the melodies are just folk melodies in our Ruthenian you know, liturgical tradition. Sure. The, these were... These were not melodies that we sing that were discerned, you know, by someone, and we we'd say it was inspired by the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Scripture was. You know, the, these were these people would go to church and they would hear music that they that they enjoyed in a human way, mm-hmm. you know, and they would see art on the wall so they enjoyed it a human way. And I think that is one of the keys is to understand that is is our tradition lived in its fullness and is it lived in a way that, that it is presented with objective beauty? Mm. You know, and I, I think that's to say, are our church buildings, you know, if somebody walks into one of, our, in one of our church buildings in one of our temples and says, you know, I don't find this engaging, attractive or revealing of the transcendent. If somebody says that, in other words, they walk in and say, oh, that's ugly. You know, are, are they wrong? Are, are, can we say, they they are truly wrong because this is truly beautiful. You know, is it is it ordered? Is it structured? Is according to all of the the mm. objective understandings of beauty? And again, some some things that are beautiful are completely subjective, and other things are completely objective. And I think our churches need to be objectively beautiful mm-hmm. with our chanting and our singing. You know, if somebody says that was horrible, are they right or are they wrong? You know, it would be nice if our churches the the singing was was. In other words, was done so well. It was done on key. It was done at a good pace, and it, and it was done where you could actually understand the words, and it was prayerful. If this was done in every single parish, then when somebody walks in and says, "I, I wasn't really a big fan of the singing," and then it's kind of like, well, you know, it, it might for you be an acquired taste, but you you need. It would be a good thing for you to realize that this is beautiful, and I have no doubt mm-hmm. about that. And I think. That's one step. One thing we need to do is to make sure that, that the, the things we are doing, we're doing well to make sure our churches are, again, you could have different styles. Of course you can. I mean, I, I, I actually am kind of a fan of like some of the stylings of, of our Byzantine Catholic Cathedral in Phoenix, mm. you know, because it looks like Arizona, you know, it looks Byzantine. Um, there's a few things that, 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 you know, are not exactly according to the tradition. And, and, you know, and I know that actually the current pastor, Father Diodoro, I think he's making a lot of really good and beautiful changes in that direction. Um, but the, in other words, is it, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with when you're in Phoenix, the Byzantine church looking traditionally Byzantine and yet Arizonian, you know, if that's a word, New Mexico, Colorado, California, you know, all of these things can, can fit the kind of the area where we're in, but, but is it, is it done well? Mm. You know, I think that's the first step to make sure we're, that we're, uh, is, is it going to attract, we, we embrace, we apostolic Christians embrace people's humanity you know, and we, 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 we do things that build community. We do things that, that, that the music is actually beautiful. The, the church is actually beautiful. The preaching is, is actually effective. You know, it, is, it, it uses rhetoric in a good way. It uses scriptural analysis in a good way. It uses homiletic and, and you know, very human tendencies in a good way. So that's one of the things that every parish should make sure they're doing um, in order to attract people. But anyway, Anything about that? I, I, I have an, a next stage that I want to go to before. Yeah. But I want to hear your thoughts I, on it first. Yeah, I do have one thing that um, some the, the nuns and I were, were just talking about this over dinner, actually, um, in that there's a, I think it at least vaguely ties in, there's a Byzantine Catholic priest that we know who's um, very, very well-versed in, in church history of both sides of the church and um, both lungs of the church, um, Catholic and Orthodox and um, 
just, yeah, he's very well-versed. Um, and Protestantism, actually. He's basically just brilliant. Anyways, he was talking about uh, to some of the nuns about how even in the early church, when the liturgy was starting to become more um, ornate and the singing uh, much more... Um, well, some would say much more beautiful, but but much more complex at least. Um, and with all of the extra harmonies and things like that, he said the monastics actually were the ones who who put forth a word of caution. They said, um, if if we're making the liturgy this much more ornate um, and complex, uh, these aren't the words he used, but I can't remember the words he used, but. If we're making it so, then we have to be careful that we're not just appealing to the human emotions that people are going to feel while they're there, um, because then we can mistake the liturgy for a human experience. And I think, of course, the monastics would say, sing the liturgy beautifully <laughs> and sing it well. Um, but it hear, hearing this was reminding me of there's there's a well, this multiple churches that I've been to, but I'm thinking of one in particular that's, they have a, an absolutely beautiful choir. Um, and so every liturgy, the choir sings, and it's it's gorgeous. It's, it's heavenly. <laughs> um, but because they have this beautiful choir, no one in the congregation sings. <laughs> and yeah. And so I think that's, in some sense, I think that's to a detriment of the liturgy. Like, have the people participating more fully, even if it's not as objectively beautiful in that sense. Um, but for the sake of, yeah. That, that exact, I mean, that, that's exactly my topic here for this podcast. Oh, so great. thank you. It's, <laughs> in, other, in other words, I think that there's, I think that there is a difference. In other words, I believe that nobody, nobody enters the monastery after attending a Byzantine parish for a year. I mean, in general, like nor- normally you, you, you would enter a Byzantine monastery after having grown up and, and lived in the church for a while, mm. you know? So I, I do think in the early church was, it was correct. You know, a cathedral life or parish life, the liturg- liturgical style was much different than monastic life. Monastic life treasured just the, the Psalms chanted straight. You know, it, it was the words of the Psalms and that experience in prayer and then the hesychastic way that allowed the monks to grow closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. But but I think you have to desire that first. And I think you have to be living a life that is ordered and structured to that end. And that's what monastic mm-hmm. life is, right, sister? You, 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 your whole life is structured towards making it easier to encounter Christ in his fullness and to live a life of asceticism, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that is conducive to that end. I think that in the cathedrals, you you have and always have had, in, in the parishes, in other words, you always have had the people that that, that the majority or at least a, a big portion of the parish is needs a little bit of that the being spoon fed, you know, and mm-hmm. we all do. But there's there's something I think, and that that's part of the key part of it is that do we do we adapt? In other words, would it be in a parish even, or do we just make sure we pray for more monasteries and more monasteries? Someone says, you know, at some point when they've been attending a Byzantine parish for a year and they, they love all the melodies, and they love everything beautiful, then you tell them, you know, I want you to pray at home, but just straight chant everything, you know, mm. because the problem with, with the choirs and parish in our contemporary time is that, yes, they're beautiful, but you can hear that online. Like you can lay in bed 
and 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 not and listen to beautiful beautiful Byzantine choirs and just and and soak it in for the beauty and you're going probably going to get a better recording that you can find on your phone than you are in church. Sure. So if you're only drawn to the beautiful singing, why even go? If that's why you're going, you can find even better singing elsewhere. You can find more beautiful images to look at than the, what's in the church. So I think what you're saying is exactly right. The, if we're looking to impress people only with the beauty of the music and the and the church art and architecture, we're missing out because they can find better music and better art and architecture online. They can. Mm-hmm. And so in, unless they are actively participating, unless they are you know singing along and engaging with the beautiful church in a way that is active participation in the liturgy, um, you know, they can find more, they can find better stuff elsewhere. And I think we need to be very aware of that. So in other words, there's a balance here. We definitely need to say, we need to make sure that we are providing for the human side of, of our, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the animalistic, but the sensory side of our humanity, the, the sure. part that is engaged through beautiful things. And then we also need to make sure that there's conviction. I mean, I love, I don't know if it, he said it or if it was said of him, but St. John Chrysostom afflicted the comfortable and comforted the afflicted. So in other words, if we are afflicted, we go to church to be comforted. We find a Christian community to be comforted. And once we are too comfortable, that same Christian community and that same church will, will, will afflict us and, and convict us towards conversion. In other words, it's going to provide a, 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 a community that, that, that is not going to keep me too comfortable. It's going to keep me on my toes, be back on my heels, whatever image you want to use. And the community itself is going to call me to be greater. The same community that, that, that called me to rest and, and to find comfort is also going to call me to conviction and conversion. And I think it's, it's the, it's two sides of the same coin um, because both are, are simply the experience of Christ's love. Um, because the experience of Christ's love both both heals and is a balm and also convicts yes. and purifies. Um, so so that's the key, right? Is to to allow people to experience Christ's love. Um, and also to say that we need to experience Christ's love in the context of a Christian community. And I think that's where. I mean, the, the Christian community um, makes Christ's love obvious, ma- makes it tangible. It, it, it's where we, where we feel Christ's love. And, and unfortunately, most people in our society would say that you don't need that community because community is uncomfortable and community is, is you know, messy and I'm not in control of community and I need to be subject to it sometimes and a victim of it sometimes. So when people, you know, I understand when people say, I feel closer to God walking in the mountains than I do in church. I, like, I get it. I get it, but but you're not you're not you're feeling you're feeling one side of Christ's love that because that's beautiful. Absolutely, you should feel be feeling Christ there, but you're not you're not feeling the interdependence within a community. So there, there's something like this is exactly the point I'm getting at. At what do we what do we do within the church? Because most of our churches are not. I don't even think they our parishes. I should say do not feel accountable or called to go out 
to the people in those coffee shops. And I was, I'll share with another time, you know, I, I was asked to give a prayer on the, on this massive memorial service on the beach. And 90% of the people, if not a hundred percent of them were not Catholic and probably never were. And so, you know, what, when, when, when a Byzantine Catholic priest is invited to talk at a memorial service for a bunch of non-Catholics, you know, what does he say? What traditions does he use? What traditions does he not use? And that, that that's for another time. But I do think the key here, and this is what I wanted to get at first, is that is that that that's the place of a homily. I think a homily is meant to take the the ancient words of the Holy Scriptures and make them relevant to contemporary people. So a preacher, mm-hmm. a priest, a deacon, a bishop is called in a sense to do this, and that's what they do. And that they 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 interpret and they they diffuse, they preach, they proclaim, and that that is one of the ways that is very important. So I've already touched on you know church art and architecture, on the quality of the singing, make sure it's objectively beautiful, and then also the preaching. The preaching needs to be applicable to our society and yet deeply rooted in scripture and tradition. And this goes back even further than before preaching to the parables. That's exactly why Christ why Christ. I'm still saying the priest, why Christ spoke in parables because the parables met people where they were. They were all about the society they knew. Everybody who heard the parables knew about farming and knew about um, you know, uh, fig trees. They, they knew about mustard seeds. They knew about um, you know, about sons who would go off on a journey and, and, you know, work for the pigs, things like that. Like they knew these things. So the parables met people where they were and yet drew them out. And so how do we extend the homily to the fringes where people are never going to listen to a homily? Where can we extend the idea of parables out to a world where people are not going to read the Bible? So they're not going to hear the parables. How do we take the spirit of those things that are very, very rooted in our ancient faith and then the objectivity of our parishes and make them available and accessible for the Holy Spirit to use outside of the parish structure? Hmm. I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is it sounds very simple, but that there needs to be relationship um, because as we encounter people, basically so much of what we preach is going to be is going to be successful is not really the right word, but um, efficacious depending upon receptivity. Um, and so if, if we don't seem trustworthy to someone <laughs> um, or if, if we don't seem like we're actually living by what we teach, um, it's going to be a lot harder for them to receive what we're saying. Um, so, so I think a lot of that opportunity comes about simply by, by relationship. And that needs to come from meeting people where they're at, as we've already talked about a couple times, in the sense of, allowing them to be in our presence and be in relationship with us um, without condemnation and without judgment in the strictest sense, um, judgment of, of the person, of the being. Um, and so allowing, allowing people to be comfortable with us. I, I'm thinking of a time that I was in college and, um, and I, was, I was friends with someone who um, was a lesbian, and um, and she was very very comfortable with this and very proud of this, and um, she she kind of lost it on someone who proclaimed very loudly um, that they were against same sex marriage, 
And and I just, I felt, um, and she was so angry and she was so hurt. And so she and I were talking later and it was just the two of us. And, um, and I just, I felt like I needed to say something because I didn't want her to have, because we were, we were close, like I said, and I didn't want her to have this misconception about me and I didn't want to be guileful. And so I said, you know, I, I just want to be honest with you. I, I also don't agree with same-sex marriage. Um, and you know that I'm, I'm Catholic and that this is not what the church teaches. And, and she just immediately, she's like, oh, of course I know that. Um, you're a practicing Catholic and this is something that um, you're very, you're with all of the other church teaching. And so of course I knew this. You didn't have to, you didn't have to say it. Um, but she was absolutely, somehow she, she wasn't hurt by that. She, she wasn't taking it personally because she knew very much of my love for her. Um, and she was trusting in our friendship. And so it wasn't, um, it wasn't the same situation as this other person who she didn't trust, who she felt like was forceful, who she felt um, was judgmental. Um, she knew what I believed and she, um, she was still able to rest in our friendship. Mm, yeah. I, I think, and I think this is, this is my one insecurity about this that I was sharing with you earlier. There are, our Lord gave, created me with a temperament and you with a temperament, I believe, fully that, that is very, very good at loving people and with, with, with engaging in a human way and in building friendships with people from every walk of life, every culture, every situation. And we're able to enjoy, you know, have a good humor, mirth, you know, have a good laugh, enjoy the evening with people that, that have various mindsets and come from various cultures. Um, and I, I believe you 100%. And I think, you know, if you read Sherry Waddell, Forming Intentional Disciples, um, that is the first step according of what it means to, to bring someone to, defining discipleship as someone who truly follows Christ. And the first step is what she calls trust. And it's not trusting in mm. God. That's like, near the last step. The first step is trusting someone who trusts God or trusting mm-hmm. someone who is a follower of Christ. And so that is the first step. And I forget what the next steps are, but you know, one involves curiosity and you kind of move through these steps. And I, I actually really, really like, if you want to look that up, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell. I, I really, really like the fact that she has this process and it's well-defined. Um, and I think that's, that's what I want to do because I, I have had a lot of success in, in, in thank God. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm very gracious and thankful for this, what our Lord is giving me, but a lot of people who live in the world and live very unchristian lifestyles who, who enjoy spending time with me and engaging in a good conversation and, and, you know, um, in, in a, in a shared life in many ways, you know, a, a life in a pilgrimage where we, where we engage with each other and have you have a certain sort of interdependence, but what is the next step in leading to curiosity? And we could break this, this topic into three or four podcasts. I'm realizing now as I say this, but, um, but I, I do think there is, if, if we, I do agree that, that we should not, the way to bring people into faith in Christ and to assist, I, I'm, I'm using that literally, Christ does this of course, but he uses us and to make ourselves available to do that. Um, 
just inviting them to a Sunday liturgy is not usually the best way. Although I don't mm. think that could be wrong. I think the parishes need to do what we did in Denver, which was kind of a flop, um, but but we tried. Um, <laughs> and this 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 might be another conviction. We really tried. I had two, there were two priests. Father Joel and I were both there, and so every single Sunday we would have both of us there at the divine liturgy. One of us would hear confessions up until the homily. And then after the homily, they would, they would be available for any, if anybody brought friends who were non-Catholic to the church, he would, or I, whoever was off, would take them to a coffee shop and do a Q&A and engage them with conversation. Mm-hmm. I think in in six months to a year, it happened maybe twice where people actually Mm. brought friends that were not Catholic. And one of the things that somebody said was, Father, we don't have that many friends that are not Catholic. And that was a big wake up call Uh to me is that I think most Uh. people do only, I know, but most people do only have friends that that or that that would be responsive to being invited to church that that are that that generally believe the same thing they do and i think that's mm. the first thing is if you feel called and i don't think everybody should do this but if you feel called to have the temperament for it to go out and engage with people and make acquaintances who are don't believe the same thing you do and yet if once you've built up enough of a relationship where they say i want to enjoy what you enjoy i want to i want to see more of your life and obviously your faith is a major part of it and then they come to church i think what the churches need to have at that point is something, something, a structure. Mm. And I'm talking about, especially about our Byzantine Catholic liturgy here, because a Byzantine Catholic liturgy is, is longer than most contemporary people can deal with. It is, it is, uh, you know, um, if they're looking for entertainment is too boring, according to what people are looking for. You know, you do have the singing isn't always the best. The church isn't always the most beautiful. So in my, in my opinion, and I've talked to this before, I think we should have a structure like that, where mm-hmm. if, if you bring a friend and they come for, you know, the beginning of the liturgy, the antiphons, and then they hear, you know, the, the holy, 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 they hear the traparia, then they hear the, the readings, and then they hear a good, well-preached homily. And if the readings and all the antiphons at the beginning of the liturgy are preached well, then they're getting something very American. They're getting something very contemporary, beautiful singing, hearing the word of God, hearing a good homily. And then they probably will not be ready to be there for the litany of, of the faithful. And in the Byzantine church, we discern between the beginning is litany of the catechumens, those who are investigating and curious. The second half is the liturgy of the faithful. You know, So in other words, if they're not quite ready for the liturgy of the faithful yet. So allow them to have a time of Q&A, give them good food, have someone that's gonna teach them and guide them at that time. And I think if, if that was built into parish structures, then people people would be more willing to bring their friends if there was a beautiful church and beautiful singing and someone that could engage with them after the homily and, and, and take them off. And then at some point I would hope then the person would say, you know, I'm enjoying this Q and a you've through this conversation. I actually want to witness the whole liturgy. I want to Mm. see what I'm missing. I want to be Mm. present for the creed and and for the anaphora and for the reception of the Eucharist and for the Thanksgiving prayers. You know, I want to be present for all these things. And once they want to do that, then they'll be much more willing to, to sit through something that is, they're not, they've really not experienced anywhere else in their, in their culture. So, I like what you say. The first step is, is engaging in a human way with people, letting them, making sure that they know we love them, getting them curious about our life. But I think the parishes, and I'm only saying this because I'm a pastor and I can actually affect this change. The parishes then need to be you know, conducive to that. And then when someone has participated in life a while and the spirits begin to move in their hearts and they begin moving towards discipleship, then you send them to a monastery. <laughs> and that's where you say, hey, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray three hour matins. And they go, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. You know, um, but they need, to be, they need to be at a point 
where they can say that, you know. Um, we only anyway, pay mountains for I an hour and a half, just for the record. What? What kind of monastery are you to pay the only hour and a half? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that, I mean, it's also, in some sense, it's, I, I think it's a great example of modernizing an ancient tradition because because the tradition of the church is we have the line in the liturgy which well in some eparchies this part's excluded but the um, the doors the doors wisdom be attentive mm-hmm. and the doors the doors was meant right because all of those who were not um, full members of the church yet were dismissed at that point because Correct. they're not ready they're not ready for that. Um, yeah, because they're not ready for the the liturgy of the faithful that you're discussing. Um, right. And so it's it's in some sense keeping that tradition of acknowledging you're not ready for this, but it's it's you're not ready for this not because um, you're too immature or because you're not holy enough or um, or because we're not accepting of you, but it's you're not ready for this because there's so much that you still. Um, you still can learn and um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, and, and it, that, that is the ancient tradition. I, that's what I'm getting at too. A lot of these things we need to think in a contemporary way, but we also need to say our, our, our traditions are enough. The Holy spirit is working in them and they are enough, but we just need to, we need to make ourselves and our preaching. And there is something though, that, that it's not that black and white, the Christ and the tradition of preaching and the tradition, like I said, of parables, at least, if not other things. I mean, maybe we need to become stylites again. You know, put a, put a big pillar right in the middle of the town square and live on top of it, so that people can't avoid, you know, the the witness of an ascetical life. You know, maybe we need to do do things. I mean, stylites. Yeah, that, I just described it. I, I won't go any further. Look up stylites if you don't know there. But they, they were they were literally they live the ascetic life right in the center of the town. I mean, they live in a very public way. I think that that's also a key is to say, you know we don't want to flaunt our asceticism, our fasting, of course, that's sinful as well. But there's something sure. about finding that good balance between living living our faith on our sleeve, living it publicly, and then that should attract people. And then when they come to our church, they're gonna say, this is very different than anything else I've ever experienced in this life, but there's something good and beautiful about it. And I'd like to like to look into it further. Yeah. Amen. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, you got to get to Vespers, right? Complin. I'm three hours ahead Complin. of you. Complin. What time is it? Five is going six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Any any last thoughts on uh, on? And I think again, I want I want to go deeper into certain aspects of this, but that was my thought because of these experiences of the coffee shop and of the beach to say. You know, I know the Holy Spirit's working in their hearts, but I don't think most Byzantine Catholics, and I don't think most Catholics in general, um, feel a daily call to 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 labor for the souls of those who we encounter on a daily basis or that we pass on the street. Um, I'm thinking of Willie Peacock. Shout out to Willie Peacock here, my <laughs> friend who who uh, who was went to an art school in Denver, Colorado, and he wore a massive pin that was like six inches in diameter. Said Christ has <laughs> risen all during the Easter season. I said, God bless you, Willie. Like oh, that, it was just, just a, a gr- 
Oh my gosh, it was a great witness to you know his, his life of faith at at an art school that does not tend to be a place where people are are you know the, the little bit too rebellious for our our contemporary faith situation here in the U.S. But anyway, do you remember do you remember the T-shirt that I <laughs> that I wore in Las Vegas when we were there for the ordination? Oh, it was just the virginity is cool or something like that. It said virginity rocks. Yeah. Oh, virginity rocks. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And on the back it yeah. said, I'm loving my husband and I haven't even met him. Um, yeah. <laughs> although there was, which started a lot of great conversations. Although there, there was one time at the airport that um, a guy saw me kind of from the side. So like part of the words were cut off and he just like yells across the airport. He just goes, virginity does suck. And then, um, <laughs> and then I turn, <laughs> I turn and he sees the shirt and he's like, Oh, and he's just, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, poor guy. Shout That's out to funny. that poor guy. <laughs> well, hope. Yeah. If you're listening and you've had some sort of conversion that would make you want to listen to a podcast called What God Is Not, a Byzantine Catholic podcast about mystery, then God bless you and your conversion. Cool. Hey, didn't we, didn't we in the beginning say that we were going to do prayer intentions at the end? I think we did. Oh, that sounds right. I think at least one of them. That so was on do you one have, of them. Does, as we conclude, do you want to pick up that tradition that we've left off since um, then? Is there anybody that you want listeners to pray for outside of space hmm. and time? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess pray for, at this point, by the time people are listening to this, newly ordained Father Travis Karate. Um, nice. He's being ordained for the Diocese of Sioux City. Um, Sister and Antonia's in the tradition. She's going to bring up Travis Crotty in every single podcast. <laughs> it was twice. <laughs> Once is a trend, twice is tradition, says the Byzantines. Well, now, we now have a new tradition as well about the most shouted out person. So, because it's been on twice. Catholic stuff, we definitely had the most shouted out person. Um, and that was oh. all my bad. And and Father John Nepple's <laughs> bad, but it um, was Antoinette, and uh, and it was pretty obvious. So now now we have the most shout out person. So congratulations, Father Travis. <laughs> All right, my intention, sister. Um, now that I am trying to think of an intention, um, you know what? So make sure it's someone that you've never mentioned on the podcast before. If this, uh, ooh. No, because then I, I can I can beat out Father Travis by the most mentioned uh, person. Um, uh, I I guess pray for that. This just it's on my mind. Um, if if you're listening to this in any other year other than 2020 in uh, in May, June, or July, uh, we're we're still we're coming out of the first stage. I don't want to predict the future, but we're coming oh, out of the gosh. first stage of COVID nineteen. Um, it's today's May 27th, 2020. Um, and so we just got the letter from the governor of Colorado two days ago saying that we could open up. Do you mean California? Did I say Colorado? I, I've been saying yeah. Denver and Colorado. I'm still not, I guess it's going to take like three years to truly become a Californian. <laughs> uh, so the governor of California, and they start with the same letter too, that doesn't help, um, and the same sound. So the governor of California <laughs> came out and wrote a document saying that churches could reopen 25% capacity, max of 100 people, and and you know kind of gave guidelines for these. And our, our community is so small at this point, and our parish is so big at this point, that that we can pretty much open back up um, with with mm. guidelines. And, and 
you know, of course, still our bishops are saying that it, the obligation for Sunday attendance is, is not been reinstated yet. So I think some people, and I hope the people that are vulnerable um, and also some other people who may just not want to risk it um, don't come. But um, I just want people to pray that that this transition for back into parish life and back into public worship. Um, I, I see that I think the same thing with business. It's going to be a transition that's very interesting, and we're going to have to have a lot of adaptations. And this coming Saturday, today is Wednesday. This coming Saturday for the All Souls, the Fifth All Souls, will be our first one, and then mm. the next day we'll have, of course, the Sunday Divine Liturgy and Matins and Vespers as well. So, in other words, it's going to be. I'm I'm not as worried about like the the safety things. We're gonna I'm actually gonna be using disposable wooden spoons that I burn, you know, and then and we're gonna have all the doors open so that people can go in and out without touching anything, and things like that. So we're gonna be doing all those things that the bishops have recommended and other other churches have done. Um, but I'm more worried about are people gonna come back with full vigor? Have they gotten too used mm. to you know watching liturgy on TV? Have they gotten sure. too used to to kind of having an excuse to not come and or and I know people are also going to be reinvigorated. Some people have missed the sacrament so much that they're going to come back with just absolute sheer joy and zeal is going to be amplified a millionfold. And so I, I, I think that's both those things are going to be there. So just pray for me and pray for other pastors and other even families in the parishes that try to inspire one another that this transition back in you know has more. Is is may, we make ourselves available to the fact that Christ always makes good come out of evil, and He always takes an evil situation like this and will make it even better than it was beforehand. But but that's going to take us being responsive and receptive to that reality as well. So that's, that's my so intention. Good. Pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the most shouted out person of all time on what God is not oh, podcast. Okay, shout out to is, Father Michael O'Loughlin. That that, <laughs> that arrogant. You know what? <laughs> Narcissistic, <laughs> selfish, arrogant, the greatest of sinners. Oh, and you're okay. you're you're three minutes late for Compline. I know. Maybe because you didn't have to announce that on the podcast. Te- te- technical difficulty. <laughs> Public shaming. I tried. Yeah, I tried. I tried showing sister a sign of something to get her to say something, and and she couldn't read it. And so she put in the <laughs> chat that she couldn't read it, but I didn't see the chat. And I was like, if she's anything like me, if you held up a sign, I would have to announce it. I'm like, what do you? What do you? What's on that sign? I can't read it. You know, and, and like I almost an did, and then I was like, what if it's? <laughs> <laughs> you got you got oh, a booger man. in your nose, sister. All right. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> <laughs> it, it was something not. else. I know. It was something else. Oh, okay. All right. Um, let's finish with the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, <laughs> cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May he allow you to be Christ's voice and his hands in the world. May our Lord give you the wisdom to go outside of your parishes and to invite people, those you love and those you meet into the faith. May our Lord, use you to, to save souls and build up the kingdom of God. May you be sensitive to others in the world. May you never dismiss others in the world, but rather love them as only Christ can give love. And may our Lord guide you and all of us to discern ways that the church can be better about leading people and their souls to Christ. May the Lord bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, sister. Love you. Love you too. Pray for me, Accomplin. I'll pray for you. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs>